this episode, we touch on the importance of treating autistic individuals with empathy and kindness, as well as keeping assumptions in check and learning to let go of self-placed limitations. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back to season three after our little hiatus. And the theme of season three is... Hearth and Home. Which is not heart and home. Let's get that very clear because that's what I thought it was when you first announced it. So. Heart. Okay. <laughs> that's like literally heart power. So I just think of like Care Bears for that, or but also. Like pushing out like the chest of like the yeah, Care Yeah, heart. Bear. But also rainbow. like, was it Captain Planet with a little heart ring? <laughs> I'm just getting off topic here, but. But yes. So not that, but something similar. Exactly. Okay. It's pretty appropriate that we ended the last season with ADHD and now we're starting season three with, with ADHD. <laughs> Keeping in a different theme. There we go. It's our transition. Anyway, back on topic. Okay. So we are talking about kindness today and empathy because we think that when it comes to building a functional, healthy home life, which is the hearth and home theme that we're going with this season, we think that building empathy within your family and having that kind structure is really important. Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's a critical like building block. I feel like because kindness kind of flows across I mean, basically most components of the family, like you can't really build a structure without it, at least as far as like the family unit. So I think that is a a necessary like building block to kind of start off with. One of the things that I just wanted to bring up at the beginning of this episode is we actually partnered recently for our Christmas drive with a sponsor that is all about kindness. So I thought that it would be perfect to mention them in this episode. They're actually called Kind Theory. So it works out well. With right? The, the episode. Isn't that perfect? And Kind Theory, you can visit their website at kindtheory.org, but they are all about diversity, inclusion, and acceptance. It's about embracing the diversity within all our autistic and neurodiverse kiddos. It's all about giving people the ability to play to their strengths while still trying to address the challenges that they might be facing within their community. Okay. So, I mean, goes very much in line with kind of like what we're kind of about as far as like fighting for advocacy for your kids and making sure that they have all their needs taken care of. Exactly. The entire point of Kind Theory is essentially trying to help build neurodivergent representation, inclusion, providing support, and just empowering individuals to feel like they can do and be part of what people would say is quote unquote normal society. And you can be kind doing it. Exactly. So (laughs) spread kindness one step at a time. And our first step is our, what was it? Christmas drive that we just did, right? Christmas wish. Yeah. Christmas wish 2021. We just did that. And again, thanks to Kind Theory who sponsored 50 kids. So that was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, that's that's a a huge chunk of kids for the holidays. I'm sure their families were very happy and uh, excited at the same time. So if you have a chance, just visit kindtheory.org and follow them on Facebook. I believe they are also on Instagram. And yeah, just giving a little shout out because I actually really believe in their mission. Yeah. I mean, they sound like a great place to start. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But back to 
kindness, which again, I think this is very relevant. <laughs> we just keep, I, mean, I should count how many times we use the word kindness. Kindness, do episode. a drinking game right. and just take a shot every time. <laughs> um, but the reason that we thought this was important is because I think that sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that when you're stressed or overwhelmed. And I feel like sometimes it's hard to empathize when you don't really understand you know, your own feelings and emotions in the process. Right. And I mean, it's easy to be kind to someone when everything is going right. It's when things start becoming chaotic, if you're still able to be a kind person and still understand the struggles that that person is going through, that makes the difference in the world. I mean, sure. I mean, I can be kind to everyone if I'm happy and in a great place in life, but it's when I'm in a a little bit darker place or having a bad day or something, if I'm able to be kind, that speaks more towards your character as, as a person in general. And I feel like one of the big important building blocks of kindness is empathy, being able to build empathetic views. Because when we are raising our children and we are trying to figure out how to manage their behaviors, when those behaviors may be overwhelming us, for example, I'm extremely sound sensitive. So if my child is like stimming vocally or if they're having a meltdown that's very, very loud, it literally triggers me because I get migraines, I get like an adrenaline rush, like it really physically has, I have like a physiological reaction to it. So having a way to be able to step back and try to put myself in her shoes, that is always the thing that kind of brings me back and calms me down is me thinking to myself consciously like, okay, I am definitely frustrated right now, but I need to take a step back and think about how must she be feeling then? If I'm feeling this way, just listening to this, how must she be feeling actually experiencing it? And I think we really noticed that when we're driving in the car with her, because at least for our oldest, she is quite loud in the car because you're kind of all in the same I mean, vehicle. So we try to think like, okay, is something bothering her that's making her want to be loud or scream just kind of periodically that's upsetting? I mean, both you and our youngest. So we try and like work backwards to see like, okay, is there something that's uncomfortable to her? So like today, for example, I think she was upset because like her drink that she had in her lap fell into like the car door and she couldn't get it or something. So that's an easy, an easy fix. As soon as I stop at a red light, we can easily reach back and grab the drink and give it to her to make her more comfortable. So we kind of think of what can we do? Is there something that is bothering her that is forcing her to kind of, I don't know, necessarily lash out, but basically like kind of scream out? Or is there something that we can help with? Right. And that coincides with that phrase about like behavior is communication. So sometimes the behavior that we're seeing is not behavior we want to see. It's not behavior that's pleasant. But they're trying to essentially communicate something to us when they don't have the words or other way to communicate. And so that is something that we have to like learn to interpret and try to understand through observation and just getting to know our children. But that all starts with that initial first step of building empathy and learning to be kind and understanding of our children. Oh, of course, because the easy solution would be if she's screaming in the car just to basically like get mad at her and tell her to be quiet or something. I mean, it's taking the extra step to realize like, no, that isn't the proper response. We need to find out like what is the root cause of her acting out or misbehaving or if if something is bothering her. So I completely agree that if you go into a situation basically having kind of, okay, you need to be kind and do good, I think that you'll have a much better outcome versus just what would satisfy me. And it, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's not, (laughs) it's not about me. It's not about you. I mean, it's about the kids. So it's like thinking in a kind way, how can I help them? 
Right. And then when we bring this back to the perspective of like the family and the hearth in the home, how you treat your child ultimately reflects upon you as a parent, but also as your family unit. If you have other siblings in the family, they are going to be impacted by their sibling's behavior, but they're also going to learn by how you treat that sibling as well. So it's just kind of like this cohesive family unit. And I just feel like the healthiest way is trying to garner that empathy, trying to understand, empathize, and project kindness onto each other as as much as possible, even when it's really difficult and stressful. And I also think, I mean, kind of going inside with that is also proper praise. So for example, when our oldest, I mean, or even our youngest, when they say please or thank you, we are happy. We basically say, oh yes, good job. You're, you're so well-behaved or so well-mannered, sorry. And then we notice that when they are interacting with other, her cousin, for example, she's very nurturing, I would say, that she will say like, oh, good job. And she's complimenting her cousin who's what, like five years older than her, yeah. her, older than her. So it kind of seems kind of out of place that you have like this little three-year-old who's complimenting an eight-year-old saying, oh, good job. You're doing such a great job. So you kind of see the kindness kind of grow through their responses and their interactions through others, which I mean, and I feel like that is a great, I mean, feeling just kind of for us where we're like, okay, good. She's kind of sharing and spreading kind of the kindness. And I don't think that this is something that is limited to autistic kids who are verbal or those that don't have like the low IQ issue. I think that this applies across the board. I think that actually when we do make assumptions, I think that we are actually placing limitations on our children as autistic individuals without truly knowing their limitations. We just kind of assume. And I feel like when you assume you may be taking options away from your child that they might actually have and we we just don't know yet. So I feel like when it comes to building empathy and developing kindness, I feel like that's something that you should be able to do with any child regardless of any of the behavioral issues or anything like that. It's just a matter of doing it kind of like by example and trying to continue to instill that in your child. Even if you feel like they're not grasping it, I think that it's still going to make some sort of impact, even if it's just like subconscious. Well, it's good that you mentioned that because kindness isn't only shown as like a verbal response or being kind to someone. I don't know what another word to... (laughs) redefine kindness. So like for our youngest, she still struggles with kind of expressive language, but she's still able to be kind to her sister. Like the other day, no judgment, we have still our Halloween hard baskets sitting around, but she was using one as like a helmet or a hat that she put on her head. And she took it over to her sister and was sharing with her, giving her one that she could use too. So they could both have like a helmet and then they would both take them off and use them as drums. So she's not able to necessarily say like, oh, here, I want you to like play with me and have this extra bucket. She went over and gave it to her. So kind of like a sharing of a object that she could use as a toy on her own, but she would rather share with her sister so they can engage in that together. And she wasn't able to express that through words, but her actions, she was able to kind of express the kindness. And I know that like for our children, particularly the younger one, the older one too, like they both initially started really antisocial, not really engaging with other peers, any other children. The youngest one, when she goes to the playground, even today, even at school with the classmates that she's known for a year, she still doesn't engage with them in the playground. She just goes off and does her own thing by herself. The older one's starting to engage, but it's more of that like parallel play. But the point that I'm getting at is just because they don't engage in this typical social play and this typical peer engagement doesn't mean that they are not empathetic towards those other children. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are not wanting to spend time with that other child. 
It just means that they do things a little differently and they might need a little more time. So I think that that's another part of that is sometimes people also assume that autistic children can't be kind or can't be empathetic, that they are devoid of being able to have the normal social, emotional capabilities that a neurotypical person would have. And I I kind of push against that because I feel like they do. I just think that it's not in the way that we would expect. That's a great point. Uh, compliments to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, because I was just thinking in my mind when you were talking that you don't want to judge their progress on your expectations. You want to judge it based on how they're doing. So, I mean, if you're thinking, oh, they should be kind and be able to engage with a peer, play, share, do all this, that's going off of like, you're my timeline. It's like, well, they might need more practice. They might need more exposure. Like we're going off of their timeline, not ours. And I mean, I think that makes all the difference in the world because it changes the perspective of how you're even viewing these interactions to start with. Exactly. And autistic kindness, I mean, I'm making up that term, but autistic kindness may look different than neurotypical kindness in the sense that what could be kind in that scenario is not necessarily what we would interpret as kindness, but it is to them. So for example, my oldest child, she's very protective about her personal space, especially with public or anybody she doesn't know very well. So there's this little kid that comes by her um, wagon whenever we go to therapy, and she's very protective of her personal space. So whenever they get too close, she will kind of bop them on the head, right? But what I've noticed is she has this one friend who is kind of like her best friend. And when her best friend comes up to the wagon, she lets her come in and she doesn't bop her. She shares her screen that she's watching like a movie or something. She'll kind of like show it to her and say, hey, you want to watch? Not in those words, but Uh, in her own special way. So to other people, they see like a child bopping other kids, but they don't see that if she's slightly turning her little phone, that that is a act of tremendous kindness coming from her since she is so sensitive to that. Like that's a big deal for her. You said that. I mean, that's Perfect. Another example is with her little friend. They're in separate classes, right? So usually when they they cross each other in a line, one leaving the playground, the other going into the playground. I think you mentioned that she saw her and like stopped and like hugged her. Yeah. So I mean, and she's she only I think hugs her little sister sometimes. Yeah, and I even, know. Even sometimes we're a little worried that it's not a hug, that it's like I was a de- about to say, even sometimes I'm like, is that a hug or is that like a chokehold? Um, <laughs> and, and even sometimes like when I come home from work, I'm like, oh, do you want like to hug like Papa, and I get nothing. Yeah, but we both know that's because she thinks I'm her favorite. Oh, fine. But but the little one is coming to my side. You can have her. She'll come back to me eventually. They always come back. (laughs) No, but I mean, I think kind of what I was saying before was like her kindness has kind of been extended beyond like kind of our family limits. And she's actually doing it with, I mean, her little friend at school. And I mean, also um, her cousin, whenever she sees her. So it is nice to see in her own way, how kindness is kind of spreading. And again, I think the important thing when it comes to kindness, we're referencing it as both teaching our children kindness and the fact that autistic children are capable of kindness, despite what many people may think but also us being able to show kindness through kind of unconventional ways. And to me, one of those is not placing limitations or making assumptions of your child's capabilities. One of the ones that I see very often is nonverbal autistic children are simply dumb, like they're unaware of their surroundings, they don't know what's going on, they're not smart. And this is like something that I have seen as an assumption in the public a lot. And I feel like that is one of those areas that more kindness needs to be developed in terms of 
not assuming that just because somebody doesn't or cannot communicate the way you are or you do, not just assuming that that means that they're dumb or incapable or just less than. Because you can definitely see like when someone isn't able to speak and another person is speaking to them, how they change their tone of voice when they think that the person doesn't understand what they're saying. And I mean, it it seems, I mean, incredibly hurtful. I mean, if I was the person that they were talking to and they're saying one thing to you, but then when they're explaining it to me, they're speaking slowly and just kind of, I mean, over-exaggerating that basically they think that I, I don't understand what they're saying. With our youngest, uh, because she has struggled a bit longer with kind of the language development, we keep in mind that she is still picking up things, even though she might not voice what she has picked up or what she has learned. And then sometimes she'll just kind of say something out of the blue and we're like, where did that come from? Like she has been listening and therefore we have to remind ourselves like, yeah, I mean, she's picking up things. And I mean, obviously we, we don't treat her any different, we, but it's just a, an example that kind of just spread out to the kind of the world that if someone isn't able to speak to you through normal communication, through language, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't understand you. We've kind of fallen into that trap sometimes, particularly in the beginning when our children were completely nonverbal. Because we did kind of assume they couldn't understand what we were saying or they just weren't paying attention. And that's how we were surprised because we had these moments where they would suddenly say something and we're like, wait, you know that? Like, we had no idea. So sometimes the consequence of that is that that child may have actually processed what you said and you don't know what the long-term consequences of that could be. But I think it's also good that we recognize that, okay, this is a barrier that we have to kind of get through. So they are understanding what, what we're saying, even though our normal mindset is like, oh, they might not be understanding if they're not giving any type of feedback, but we have to get through that barrier in order to kind of connect with them. So we kind of have to put that out of our mind being like, okay, when we're saying something, the chances that they are understanding it, even though they're not giving feedback is just something that we have learned how to do. And I mean, we're still working. I mean, nothing's perfect. I mean, we're still figuring it out as we go, but um, it is a conscious effort sometimes to basically understand okay, she does understand what we're saying, even though she's not giving a response. Right. And that's difficult again, because initially they both did actually have that receptive expressive language disorder, where initially they actually didn't understand what we were saying. And we had to work through speech therapy to give words meaning, because initially words didn't have meaning to them. But once you get used to that mindset, sometimes we forget that, oh, wait, children are capable of progressing, even if it's at a different rate than the neurotypical child they're still progressing. And most of the time we don't notice. And that's where things get hairy. It's just when five years later go down the road and you're still treating your child like you did five years ago, assuming they haven't made any progress at all. I have actually followed some autistic adults who had apraxia speech, which is that inability to like verbally communicate and went through some pretty intensive like speech therapy and later on were able to voice their opinions. And one of the stories that stood out to me was how this particular person was saying that when they were young, Because they couldn't speak or when they spoke, it was all kind of muffled and difficult to understand. Other people assumed that he was incompetent and didn't understand what they were saying. So they would talk about him around him all the time and just assume he didn't know what was going on. But internally, he was kind of being traumatized by it because he knew when they were talking about him and what they were saying, and he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't chime in. He couldn't defend himself. So I always keep that in the back of my mind because I just want to make sure that I never put my child in that sort of situation. You just think about the trauma that when he was a child, the trauma that he would go through because he's aware of what people are saying about him basically right in front of him. 
And then, I mean, that stays with you. So, I mean, that's definitely something to reflect on. Like, obviously, give them the, I mean, the benefit of the doubt that they they might understand what you're saying. And obviously, be kind. And I mean, if for some reason, my child told me years later, oh, you said all these horrible things about me, which is not true. I will add the disclaimer. <laughs> it is not true. Um, no, I, I, I'm, I find that I'm pretty nice to our kids. But um but no, I'd be I'd be horrified if they said that, oh, I heard all these things that you said about me when I was younger because you didn't think that I understood. And it's not even always necessarily negative things. It could just be misconceptions. So for example, if a parent is saying, oh, this is their favorite food. I know this is their favorite food. And internally, they're like, no, I actually really hated that food, but I would always eat it because my mom would give it to me and I didn't know how to tell my mom that I didn't like it. So it could even be something as basic as that. that, Right. It's so small, but we are assuming that we know what their favorite food is when they haven't been able to effectively communicate it with us. Mm. So that's where it really takes a lot of time and effort and a lot of self-checking, which I personally still struggle with because it's difficult to remind yourself that, hey, is this an assumption or do I actually know this? So I feel like that's something that's kind of like a constant struggle, but something that we should always kind of keep in the back of our minds. Well, I think it's definitely something to strive for, to keep as far as like, okay, you have the goalpost, you're not potentially ever going to reach the goalpost, but to keep giving your best effort to kind of reach and get a little bit closer to kind of breaking down and getting the best communication you can. I find that the main, obviously the best way to kind of move forward is being nice and doing good and not doing it with like an evil heart or doing something that you're scoffing at any situation that you're trying to work with your child, not trying to basically drag them across the finish line. Yeah. And it's not always necessarily that black and white either. Like sometimes it's just a matter of we're tired, we're exhausted, and we're just like trying to get things done. And we just can't put in the effort at that moment in time because we're exhausted. And we're just like, we're going to do what we're going to do to survive. And so that I feel like those are the moments of weakness where these sort of things kind of slip through because our guards are down. We're weak at that point in time. So I feel like those are the moments where we have to kind of pull back as much as possible because we are more vulnerable there. But overall, I just think that we need to continue to work on not placing limits prematurely on our children, not assuming that they can't do things, even if it seems completely impossible. I just am the type of a person that would rather remain optimistic, even if it seems unrealistic. But I feel like you provide your child with more opportunities if you just continue to stay optimistic and assume competence rather than assuming incompetence. Plus, what's the reason not to? There's no reason not to because otherwise you're putting up a barrier unnecessarily. I mean, it's easier to not. Exactly. So overall, we just wanted to let everyone know that kindness is important and spreading kindness is important within the household. It helps you bond with your child. And it's a matter of teaching your child to also be able to spread kindness just in their own way if necessary, but continuing to kind of teach that principle and value in your family, even if you have to kind of adjust or accommodate the way it's done. And I would say just make sure you give them plenty of room to grow and develop as their own individual person. Exactly. So that's all we have for you guys today. I just wanted to remind you guys to continue to spread kindness internally within your family, externally outside of your family, and to just continue to be an example for your child because they're always observing, they're always listening. And again, don't place limitations prematurely. You don't ultimately know what your child is capable of. So just assume confidence, assume the best, and give them that fighting chance. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. See you next time. Bye. Bye. To review, we discussed how letting go of assumptions and limitations may ultimately open more doors for your child. We also noted that nonverbal does not mean incapable nor dumb, and that autistic children are in fact capable of kindness and empathy, but may simply show them in non-conventional ways. 
Tune in next time as we answer questions such as, can my autistic child learn to become independent? How can I assist them in this process? And what can I do to encourage them to continue to develop important life skills? This is Embracing Autism.